0: Why the scarceness of miracles, listen carefully, because the primary purpose of miracles has always been to confirm the credentials of a divinely appointed messenger.
1: Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Are you actively participating in serving in a local church? If so, are you responsibly using the spiritual gifts God has given you? Hi, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom has part 7 for us today of his current series titled Gifted to Serve, looking at the topic of spiritual gifts as revealed in Paul's letter to the Romans in chapter 12. You know, the Bible makes it clear that the goal of spiritual service is not merely using your spiritual gift whenever and however you like. As you'll discover, you're called to use your spiritual gift responsibly and in the context of the body of Christ, the church. What about you, friend? Are you using your gifts correctly and responsibly to the benefit of the leaders and members in your church? Examine the matter carefully as we join our teacher now. On the word unleashed.
0: We find ourselves in the fourth and final major section of Romans. It is the gospel applied. Begins in chapter 12, verse 1, runs all the way to chapter 15, verse 13. As Paul begins to apply the gospel, he starts with a gospel response to God. That is the first two verses of chapter 12. He says, If you're going to respond to the gospel and to all that God has done for you in Christ, then it it begins by presenting your body, verse 1, and your mind, verse 2, to God. He has earned that, he deserves that, and that is your reasonable response of worship. The next paragraph, as he unfolds the application of the gospel, is a gospel response to service. That's chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. We just read it together, a gospel response to service. Now think about this for a moment. As Paul begins to lay out the implications, the application of the gospel to life, he begins with our service in the church to the body of Christ. So many Christians have lost sight of the priority of the church in their lives, It becomes, as I've shared before, a kind of theater where you come and sit next to people who are strangers, to whom you have no obligation, you get what you want and you leave. That is not the church of Jesus Christ. And so Paul here says, I want you to know that presenting yourselves as a living sacrifice to God begins with your service to the body of Christ in the context of the church Because God has gifted every Christian to serve, and so therefore we must think about our gifts accurately, and we must use them responsibly. Those are really the two instructions in this text. We have been looking at one of those instructions, and it's been a little while, so let me just review with you. The first instruction Paul gives us here is think about your spiritual gift accurately. That's the message of verses 3 through 5. What does this passage address? The answer is spiritual gifts. Verse 6 says, we have gifts that differ. And then he follows in the following verses with a list of spiritual gifts. So the theme of this paragraph is about spiritual gifts. Why does the teaching in this paragraph matter it matters because it's a command of Christ paul says in verse 3 through the grace given to me i am teaching this to you that is the grace he received as an apostle of jesus christ what he teaches here is not a good idea it is a command from our lord who does this concern every single christian verse 3 I say to everyone among you. Now, what is commanded here? Well, negatively, Paul says, don't think too highly of yourself and your gift. Notice verse 3, don't think more highly of himself than he ought to think, or literally than it is fitting or appropriate to think. And then positively, think accurately of yourself and your gift. Verse 3 goes on to say, think so as to have sound judgment. To have sound judgment, as we discovered, is literally to think sanely or to think sensibly about your giftedness. Have a sober, clear-headed, objective, accurate assessment of yourself and your giftedness. How does that happen? How, How in the the milieu of spiritual gifts and all that surrounds that. How do we think sanely? Well, in verses 3 and 3 to 5, he says, first of all, remember that your unique ability to serve is a gracious, sovereign gift of God. Verse 3, he says, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. And secondly, remember that you are just one member in Christ's body and that your role by divine design is to serve the other members. That's the message of verses 4 and 5. Now that brings us to where we left off last time. And today we come to Paul's second instruction for us, and that is use your gift responsibly. Use your gift responsibly responsibly that's the message of verses 6 through 8 how does that happen well using our gift responsibly is only possible when we understand the new testament spiritual gifts begins with understanding paul here under the inspiration of the spirit gives us a list of spiritual gifts as we will discover Almost all of the permanent gifts Christ has given to his church are here in this passage. And Paul gives them by the work of the Holy Spirit to the Roman believers and to us so that we will understand, so that we will understand the scope of spiritual gifts available to us, so that we will have a biblical understanding of this issue, so that we will be able to identify our own giftedness, and so that we'll know best how to use them in the life and flow of the church. Now this morning, in the shortened time that we have, because we're going to celebrate the Lord's table together, I just want to accomplish two basic goals. First of all, I want us to make a comprehensive list of all the New Testament spiritual gifts. A comprehensive list. Secondly, I want to begin to organize those gifts into basic New Testament categories. Next time, Lord willing, that we study Romans 12 together, when I return from Italy, I I will finish categorizing the gifts and I hope to do a couple of other things. I hope to give you a simple set of definitions or descriptions of all of the New Testament spiritual gifts and some practical steps to identify biblically your giftedness. So, today, Let's just begin with a comprehensive New Testament list of the gifts. Romans 12 is not the only New Testament list of spiritual gifts. In fact, it is only one of four such lists. Now, look first here with me in Romans 12, however. We just read it a moment ago. And here Paul lists seven spiritual gifts. Here they are, prophecy, service teaching exhortation giving leading and showing mercy seven spiritual gifts now keep those in mind and i've got them listed there for you now let's turn to the second place where a list occurs turn to 1 corinthians chapter 12 1 corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7 We'll begin there. The list comes in verses 8 through 10, but let's get a running start in verse 7. But to each one, that is to every believer, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues or languages. And to another, the interpretation of those tongues or languages. But the one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as he wills. Now, the list in verses 8 through 10 includes nine gifts. Notice them. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, Miracles, Prophecy, Distinguishing of Spirits, Tongues, and Interpretation of Tongues. Now, you'll notice in the list that there is only one duplicate here from Romans 12. It's prophecy. Apart from that, this is a totally new list. I also want you to notice the remarkable difference between the list in Romans 12 and this one. Romans 12 is almost, apart from one gift mentioned, it is almost entirely ordinary and non-miraculous. 1 Corinthians 12, on the other hand, is entirely extraordinary and miraculous. Now, just note that. We'll consider why that is in just a few minutes. The third list of New Testament gifts is right here in the same chapter. Go over to 1 Corinthians 12. Verse 27. The list occurs in verses 28 to 30, but let's pick it up in verse 27. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues. <coughs> Excuse me. All are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have the gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Now this list also includes nine gifts. Apostles, prophets, teachers, miracles, healings, helps, administrations, tongues, and interpretation of tongues down in verse 30. Now, there is a a lot of duplication in this list. You'll notice prophecy occurs here, and it occurs in the other two lists we've already looked at. Teaching is also in Romans 12. Helps here is the same as serving in Romans 12. And administrations is the same as leading in Romans 12. Now, not surprisingly, in light of the problems in Corinth, healing, tongues, and interpretation of tongues all appear in both lists in this chapter. So, this list then, at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, is a blending of Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10. In fact, notice this. In this third list, in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 to 30, We have only one new gift, the gift of apostles. Now, let's turn to the fourth and final New Testament list of gifts. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. As Paul teaches about the church and how it's to function, he says this, And Christ gave some as apostles and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as literally pastor-teachers, one office, pastor-teachers. Now, some argue that this list here in Ephesians 4.11 is not a list of spiritual gifts, but rather a list of gifted men that Christ has given to his church. And, of course, in one sense that's true. But there are a couple of arguments for taking this as a list of spiritual gifts as well. Because 1 Corinthians 12, verses 28 to 30, is clearly a list of spiritual gifts, no doubt about it. And it includes two of these apostles and prophets there. In addition to that, because of the context, and it's just been referencing Christ's gifts to the church, most New Testament scholars take this as a fourth and final list of spiritual gifts. It's likely these are spiritual gifts, and I I want to include them in our list just so we're sure to be comprehensive. Perhaps we could think about it this way. Although not all spiritual gifts are offices, all offices are spiritual gifts. Now, when you look at this final list in Ephesians 4, there are four gifts in this list. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. You'll notice immediately that apostles and prophets are duplicates. That means this final list adds two, evangelists and pastor teachers. There, folks, is a comprehensive list of the New Testament spiritual gifts that Christ has given to his church. There are no others in no other place. So that's a great start. Let's go secondly, however, to consider the basic New Testament categories of those gifts. How do we group them? What is the legitimate way to categorize these spiritual gifts? Of course, there are many potential ways to do that. Undoubtedly, you've heard some of them. But I want to see if we can follow a New Testament pattern and model for thinking about these gifts. I hope to prove to you today and the next time we study Romans 12 together that the New Testament identifies two overarching categories of spiritual gifts. The first of them we want to consider today is temporary sign gifts. Temporary sign gifts. Now before we look at the specific gifts that are given and not going to get into that too much today anyway. We'll do it next time. But but let's back up and look at the bigger picture because to really understand why I would call these temporary and sign gifts, you have to understand the bigger scope of biblical history. From the beginning of biblical history, when God gave men… Now, let me stop here and just say, please listen carefully to what I'm going to say. Uh, some on the internet have heard the message I did at Strange Fire, have have misrepresented what I said and tried to paint it out as my being inaccurate with it. Listen carefully. When God gave men the capacity to work miracles, it was always a sign that they were speaking for God. Because of that, the different eras of miraculous gifts in Scripture were always short-lived. Now, don't misunderstand God worked miracles directly from time to time throughout the Old Testament and throughout the New Testament history, and frankly, He's God. He can still do that today, although I don't think it's the norm. So God can intervene in human history directly Himself, and no one's limiting God's capacity to do that, but there were only three primary periods in which God worked miracles, listen carefully, through uniquely gifted men. That is, through men to whom he gave miracle-working power. God performed miracles directly during the ministries of men like Samson, Samuel, David, Isaiah, Daniel, but there is no biblical evidence that those men were given the same miracle-working power as Moses, Elijah, and Elisha. When you examine the biblical record, you will find there are three main time periods with miracle-working men. That is men to whom God gave the power to work miracles. It's not that God acted directly, as it was Samson, for example, and God performed a miracle. Instead, it's God giving men the capacity to work miracles. The first of these periods was that of Moses and Joshua. That period lasted from the Exodus in the year 1445 B.C., through the career of Joshua that ended about 1380 B.C. In other words, it lasted about 65 years. The second window when miracle-working men were common on this planet was during the ministries of Elijah and Elisha. That was from 860, about 860 B.C. until 795 B.C., again a period of only about 65 years. The third time of miracle-working men was that of Christ and his apostles. It began with Jesus' ministry, I believe somewhere in the year twenty-six, twenty-seven A.D., and lasted at the very longest to the death of John the Apostle in the mid-90s A.D., which means about 70 years. Again, God occasionally intervened in other time periods directly and worked a miracle on his own. But in the thousands of years of human history, there were only a a total of about 200 years when God empowered men to work miracles. And even then, miracles didn't happen every day. Why is that? Why the, the scarceness of miracles? Listen carefully. Because the primary purpose of miracles has always been to confirm the credentials of a divinely appointed messenger, to establish the credibility of one who speaks for God. Not someone who teaches God's word like I'm doing this morning, but rather someone in whose mouth God puts new revelation and who speaks the very words of God to man. This pattern began with the very first miracle worker, Moses. Turn back with me to Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4, the context. Moses is receiving his commission as he's in the wilderness there at the burning bush to go and lead God's people out of Egypt. And Moses has a problem, verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen to what I say? For, now notice this, they may say, Yahweh has not appeared to you. In other words, how do we know you're speaking for God? We don't believe you. Notice how the Lord gets over that problem. Verse 2, the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. Then he said, throw it to the ground. He threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand and grasp, grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. Now notice verse 5. Here's the reason God gave Moses the capacity to work this miracle and many others that miracle that Moses worked during his ministry. Here it is, verse 5. In order that they may believe that Yahweh, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. God says, Moses, I'm going to give you the power to work miracles as confirmation and proof that you represent me. I have sent you and you speak for me. And so this is the pattern from the very beginning. God enabled Moses to perform miracles, to validate Moses as God's prophet, and Moses' message as God's own words. Then you come to the end of Moses' ministry in the book of Deuteronomy. As he anticipates his death, as he's preparing the children of Israel to enter the promised land without him, he says to them in Deuteronomy 18, There are going to be more prophets like me that will come. Of course, the great fulfillment of that is the great prophet ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ our Lord. But it's equally clear in Deuteronomy 18 that Moses was describing an institution of prophecy that was already active in his day and that God would continue to send prophets to speak on his behalf. How would the people know if they came and spoke on God's behalf? Well, in Deuteronomy 13, 1 to 5, and we'll look at this again the next time we're together, Moses lays down some criteria. The Holy Spirit, through Moses, lays down some criteria for us. First of all, he says, whatever that prophet says must agree with previous revelation. He said, look, if a prophet comes, he works a miracle. It's a real miracle. It's verifiable. But he speaks contrary to what God has already said. In other words, if it's not in keeping with God's word, then he doesn't represent God.
1: That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part seven of his series, Gifted to Serve, Tom will have part eight for you next time. Join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at the wordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals just like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's thewordunleashed.org.